Welcome to church. Welcome to church. Hey, I just, just before we get started, this week I met with two people and I said, tell me your story. People I hadn't uh, really spent much time with, tell me your story. And they said, we were away. We were not, we didn't grow up in the faith. We weren't following Jesus. COVID shutdown happened. Everyone was kind of locked up in their homes for just a stretch. And we turned on the TV on Sunday morning and there was this church that was singing music that I really liked. And then someone came up and preached and we gave our hearts to Jesus. And so we got people watching all over our city, all over our region, all, all throughout our prisons. Can we give it up for the people who are watching? We say, God bless you. Come see us sometime. Love to have you in the building. Today we're in week two of our series through the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you don't, it'll be up on the screen. So what I'll do is I'll read the first 12 verses and then I'll pray and we'll jump in. So hear the word of the Lord, Matthew five. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil things against you because you love me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray. Lord, we're here today because we need to hear from you. We're here today because we believe that you're the God who from of old, you're the God who speaks. You spoke, let there be, and there was. And we need you to say it all over again today. There's darkness around us. There's darkness about the future. We don't know what's going on. We can't control it. We need you to say, let there be light. And so Lord, speak today. We pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our ears, that you would open our eyes, that you'd make us soft and, and, and open to your scriptures today. We pray, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. amen. Founding documents are critical for the formation of any society. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among them are life, liberty, and talk to me, church, life, liberty, and did you go to civics class in seventh grade? Yes, you did. Founding documents are, are crucial in the formation of any society. And when the society doesn't live up to its highest ideals, they become a mirror for us. Tomorrow we will remember and honor the life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. who came along and said, somewhere I read, 
about the right to assembly. And somewhere I read that all people were created equal. And somewhere I read that everyone could seek life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so when we as a nation were not living up to our greatest ideals, he came and rebuked us and said, we can wake back up. The founding documents are critical in the formation of any society. And I want to suggest to you that the Sermon on the Mount is Christianity's founding document. Jesus comes along and in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 preaches his longest sermon and it wakes the world up. You see in Matthew 5, 1 and 2 that Jesus came and it says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and all already the Hebrews who would have been reading this or those who watched it, they would have been having these Old Testament resonances fire. It would have been Moses, 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 Moses. He went up on a mountainside like Mount Sinai, right? And he sat down. This is rabbinic language. The rabbi would sit down and the disciples would come around to listen. And his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. They would have been saying, okay, there's something happening here. There's a big signal here. We've got to listen to this one. And over time, they would discover that Jesus was the greater and the truer Moses. <laughs> that Moses said, let my people go. But Jesus actually became God's let my people go. And so this is our founding document. And if you want to know the bleeding heart of Christianity, the center of our story, memorize, understand, take in, meditate on the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the key words that you'll see in this text is the Greek word makarios, which translates to blessed. Makarios, blessed are those, blessed are those, blessed are those. Jesus is coming to show us what the good life looks like, the blessed life. And makarios could be translated happy or blessed or fortunate. And essentially, the question is, do you want to know what the good life looks like? Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount is ready to tell us. Pastor Andrew preached through the first four Beatitudes last week, and today I'm going to pick up five through eight. So here's what Jesus says. Our first Beatitude for the day is, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown Mercy. Now, when we think about mercy, we have sort of a word cloud that pops up with all these synonyms. And we go, oh, we think we know what mercy is like. Mercy is, is kindness. Mercy is forgiveness. Mercy is gentleness or graciousness. But actually, mercy is its own very unique word. And one of the great Hebrew scholars on the planet today says that uh, mercy is womb-like mother love. You see, the, the Hebrew word for mercy is related to the Hebrew word for womb. Isn't that interesting that mercy is the, the, the image we're meant to carry is womb. Have you ever been around just an incredibly wonderful woman? Just a woman that made you feel safe. Uh, maybe, maybe grandma for you, you would sort of belly up to the, to the kitchen counter and she would slide across her famous pie and a glass of milk and she'd come tickle your back at night and pray for you, honey. I bless you. I love you, honey. Anything you ever need. Anybody ever been around a great woman? a good mom or, or an extended auntie or someone in your church that you've been around who just, you, when you were with them, you felt secure, you felt safe. Mercy, this word in the Hebrew, wants to, to, to awaken us to those images, womb-like mother love. And from what I hear, pregnancy is terribly intrusive. I, I don't know. I just, from what I hear, word on the street, you know, I've seen it a few times. My wife's been pregnant three times. And, and it just, I mean, a, a human being moving in, and leeching off of you, siphoning off all of your best nutrients and strength through the umbilical cord, just growing, just taking all the, have you ever had someone just take from you, right? 
Mercy is womb-like mother love, to take someone else's story into your being, to praise someone else's goodness into existence. Mercy is the capacity to carry someone else's story within your heart, to nurture them, to grow them up, to protect their lives, to make space for someone else's story, to overcrowd your life. Have you ever taken someone else's story on board? This is what mercy looks like for us. Mercy is the dream of someone else's well-being growing within you. But we all know that people can be difficult, not us, not us, never us. We are not difficult, but other people can be difficult. We know this. And so what happens is when people are difficult, we begin to circle up the wagons. We go, look, you did that to me once. That will never happen again. And so you protect yourself and our hearts get hardened and we, we become rigid and we, we just... Protect number one, but mercy is the softening of those instincts. One of the great and frequent promises of the Old Testament is that God would replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Jeremiah said it a couple times. Ezekiel said it a couple times. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament picks up that prophetic theme and says, when God comes by his spirit, he will take our hearts of stone and he'll take them out and refashion them and, and tenderize them. And this is what you see. Jesus embodies this beatitude. He goes around the dusty roads of Palestine and he, and he finds the poor, and, and the poor and the marginalized and, and the sick and the adulterous and all the people who shouldn't be in the center of the story. He goes out to the edges and brings them in. Jesus is God's mercy incarnate. And the prophets told us that when God by his spirit comes, he would soften us. He would return us to tenderness and, and innocence. And he would, he would teach us to believe in others again in a way that we can't on our own. Can we thank God for a God who will carry our stories? Can we thank God for a God who opens himself up to us while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, while we didn't care about God, while we weren't seeking him out, God made us alive. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. God takes us into his mercy. I heard the story last year and I've told it once, but it bears repeating a woman who 40 years ago was falling in love with a man that she thought to be thoroughly wonderful and they got married and right away on the honeymoon, she discovered she was married to a different man. Who is this? He became verbally abusive. I mean, they're married three days. They're in a nice place. They ought to be just having a great time. And he's just vicious and, and, and destroying her with his words and emotional abuse that turned in over the years to physical abuse. And, and they had a couple little children and she's trying to protect the household against the man that she's sharing a bedroom with. It's just, just dark. And she prayed, God, heal him, God, heal him. And it just wasn't happening. And through a broken heart, she had to go to court and sign those documents and the marriage marriage was ended. A few years later, she meets a man that actually is thoroughly decent, who loves her, who honors her. They get married and the children find safety with this new man in their life. And, and, and they're flourishing and 25 years goes on and, and, and here they are and they hear about Husband number one, the ex-husband, he comes down with stage four cancer. And by this time, he doesn't have money. He doesn't have medical care. He doesn't have many relationships. Like the seeds of what he had planted had come up into a harvest of, of just sadness. And here he was dying by himself. And they began to just pray. Mercy was growing in them. God bless him. God, would you heal him? 
We don't want him unwell. God, we just pray that you'd take care of him, that you provide for him. And the months go by and the months go by and the months go by. And one day in prayer, they kind of looked at each other. Every, every experience this where you kind of know what God is saying and you sort of, are we going to say this out loud? The Lord put it in their hearts to begin to take care of this man. Here he is by himself and they started driving him to doctor's appointments. And then they discovered that his money was running out and they, they threw prayer. And I'm not saying, I'm not, uh, I'm not romanticizing this and I'm not saying it's the right thing for everyone to do, I, but I'm telling you that over the course of the Holy Spirit leading them through the months, they decided that they would take him into their house until he died. And they would put him in the wheelchair and they would roll him into the kitchen and sit around the table, the three of them. Empty nesters, these two, taking this man in and they would feed him his meals and they'd clean his face and they would bathe him and they would put him in bed and they'd pray the blessing of God. What? The man who 40 years ago was destroying her life and here they are now, husband and wife, serving this man unto his rest and blessing him and speaking life over him. What was happening was the mercy of God in unbelievable, miraculous form was growing in them so that they could nurture and care for someone's story who had demolished her story decades before. And I'll just tell you today, if God raised Jesus from the dead, anything's possible. Mercy is possible. Kindness is possible. Blessing your enemies is possible. Turning the other cheek is possible. Going the second mile is possible. And Jesus shows us this in his ministry and we see it in little glimpses around us. And friends, I think mercy is a superpower in our hardened world. Friends, Jesus says, you want to know what the good life is like? Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. And so I'll say one of the greatest prayers you could pray for the rest of your life is, Lord, make me merciful. In the morning before you leave for work, Lord, make me merciful today. Give me a tender heart. Make me soft today. Give me eyes to see. Give me a heart to receive. Give me, give me a, a love that begins to take other people into my heart. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The second beatitude that Jesus puts in front of us today is blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Many of us, when we hear something like this, blessed are the pure in heart, we immediately think about sexual immorality and impurity. And that's absolutely a part of this story. Absolutely. Sexual purity is crucial in the life of becoming like Jesus. And it's not just the only thing that Jesus is talking about with purity of heart. He's talking about purity of motives. Why are you nice to your boss at work? Why are you, are you trying to work a deal? Are you trying to take advantage of Blessed are the pure in heart, purity of motives, purity of thought, purity of speech, purity of relationship. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart. And when you live pure in heart, you'll begin to see God and you'll begin to see the world around you. Think about King David. We, we pick up the story in first Samuel with him as a young shepherd boy, and he's out in the field taking care of his father's sheep. And he's, he's the youngest kind of the, the runt of the eight brothers. And, and he's not even worth bringing in when they're going to anoint the new King of Israel. David's just out there playing his harp and writing Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And he's worshiping God and he's growing in holiness and he's innocent. 
and he's tender and he's pure in heart. And David gets anointed king of Israel because purity of heart is attractive to God. But sure enough, that power wore on him and he didn't keep it at bay. And over the years, as that power grew, it says that in the time of year when the kings went out to war, David stayed home. He used to be pure in heart, but now he's hardening and he's, he's cutting corners. And when he's staying at the palace while his men are out fighting, he goes out on his balcony one day and he looks down and he sees Bathsheba taking a bath. And it says that he saw her and he longed for her. Lust began to take over his story. And then he started putting together a plan to take her. And David, he gets caught. He, he blows his life up. And, and he started with this innocence where he could see God and he could see the world. And he ended this story as a man who had sinned. And what happens is he collapsed in on himself and he couldn't see God. And when the prophet Nathan comes in in Psalm 51, David falls on his knees and he repents and he says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Friends, have you ever noticed if purity of heart means you can see God, have you noticed that the inverse is also true, that the impure of heart cannot look you in the eye? Have you ever, have, I've been there at times in my, my past where I'd come into a service like this and we're singing about holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And you know you haven't been living holy. And so what you end up doing is you end up looking at your shoes through worship. Because you can't make eye contact here and you can't make eye contact there. Have you ever realized that when you're living a lie, when you're hiding and when you're running around and sneaking around, you, you collapse inward. You, the, the impure in heart can't look you in the eye. But when the holiness of God comes, you can begin to engage again. When purity of heart takes over, you can lay hands on people with clean hands and a pure heart. You can speak blessing friends. Jesus says, if you want to know what the good life is like, ask God for purity of heart because then you'll see him and then you'll see the world around you. Friends, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. You want to change the world, spend your life praying, Lord, give me purity of heart. Make me merciful. Give me purity of heart. Make me clean. Make me tender. Help me to see with clean eyes. If you'll do that, you'll change the world. The third beatitude today that Jesus puts in front of us is this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, the artist formerly known as Saul is persecuting Christians. He's running around the, the known world, Asia Minor, with letters from the, the leaders of the, the house of God back in Jerusalem. And anyone who said yes to Jesus, he was arresting them, throwing them in jail. He was, he was there when Stephen was stoned in Acts chapter 7, the first Christian martyr. And the artist formerly known as Saul is going along one day to make life miserable for more Christians. And then Jesus finally knocks him off of his horse and blinds him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? They take him to straight street and lock him up for three days. He, he's on house arrest in the presence of the Holy Spirit and he's praying and God's softening his heart. And finally he gets his eyes open and he sees that Jesus Christ is Lord and Saul becomes Paul and Paul writes two thirds of the New Testament. He becomes the great apostle. And in the letter to the Ephesians, 
The context is there are these two groups who have been fighting. It's the, it's the Jews and it's the Gentiles. And the Jews are saying now kind of on the backside of Jesus's resurrection, like that's our guy. He studied Torah and he's been with us and he's of the tribe and Jesus is our guy. And the Gentiles are going, yeah, right. You didn't follow him when he was living. And, and he's our guy. We said yes to him first. And so the two groups are fighting and Paul writes Ephesians chapter two and says, for he, Jesus himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. He goes on to say his purpose, Jesus was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Pay attention to that by which he put to death their hostility. A brief summary of Ephesians 2 is that Jesus is peace, and the only thing he's willing to kill is the spirit of hostility. Think about that. He didn't kill his enemies. He could have called legions of angels on the cross and smote them all, right? He could have done that. He doesn't kill his enemies. The only thing Jesus is willing to kill is the spirit of hostility. Jesus, wherever there is a dividing wall between you and someone else, Jesus comes to remove that. In our, in our age of political partisanship, Jesus is having nothing of it. He is the one who is peace and he will, he will knock those walls down. He's always looking to bring people together. Now think about the difference. There's a big difference between peacekeepers and peacemakers. Peacekeepers, Thanksgiving lunch, crazy uncle Rico's over and, and he's wearing you out about who you should vote for. And he's wearing you out about all this stuff. And have you ever been in that meal where you just go, the goal is to get out of here. Okay. Everyone be quiet. Kids don't engage. Don't say it. It's a bait. It's he's trying to hook you in and he wants to win. Just leave it alone. Peacekeeper, peacekeeper, peace. Don't destroy. Do no harm. There's a difference between being peacekeepers and peacemakers because peacemakers go into a situation. They engage, they, they take something. They're not just going la 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 la. They're, they're stepping in and they're naming the silences in order to bring peace. I'll say, Peacekeepers keep war from breaking out, but peacemakers heal the hatred that leads to war. There's a big difference between being a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Now, Thursday night I had a dream and, and just as a bit of a backdrop, I don't dream. I, I have like three dreams a year. My subconscious is like a cinder block. It's just, <laughs> I go to sleep and I'm gone, right? Some of you have a subconscious that just does hula hoops during the night and you have dreams and visions and all this prophetic stuff and you wake up at the morning and you're writing it down and you've got interpretation of it and you're writing poems about your dreams and God bless you for that. That is not me. I, I, I have three dreams a year. So when I have a dream and I wake up remembering it, I essentially say, speak Lord, your servants listening. So here was my dream. There's someone, this is a real scenario, a few years ago that there was a, a break, there was a dividing, there was a, it, it stopped, it shut down and it needed to. And that story was kind of just there, unspoken, unaddressed, and I it was okay. I wasn't trying to force anything there, it needed a time. And in my dream on Thursday night, I was walking along this building, this brick wall, and I was coming to the end of it and I had to make a right turn. And right as I made the right turn, there this guy was. 
And you know that initial, you've seen someone like that, like in a real moment where you just kind of, you lose your breath for a minute and you wonder how this is going to go. Like what, what's happening here? In my dream, I was stunned. And both of us stopped and all of a sudden we both put our arms out and we both walked to each other and we both hugged each other and something was broken off of us. So I wake up at 4.58, stone cold wake up, and I knew exactly, I remembered the dream, and I, whoa, that just happened, and I didn't ask for that, and I don't even know how to feel about that. I just knew that I was carrying that. And at 5.30, my bride, Lisa, she reaches over as she does each morning. She put her hand on my chest, and she starts praying like she does. And all of a sudden, this line just jumps out. Lisa says, Holy Spirit, if there's anyone we need to think about today and reach out to today, show us. <laughs> and I was so mad at her. Oh, woman of God, I rebuke you in the name of I, I was mad. Like, don't go saying that because I know what this is going to cost me. I know like 4.58 and now it's 5.30 and you're ruining my life. And at 5.30, that, that prayer just sort of stuck with me. Lord, Holy Spirit, if there's anyone we need to think about and reach out to, show us. And at 8.30, I sat down with my cell phone on the end of our bed, and I started to compose a text message. And this is a text message you compose before you put their name in because you don't want to send it on accident, right? And I was giving the Lord time to talk me out of it. Holy Spirit, I'm willing. If you don't want me to send this, I'm great with that. I'll, I'll speak, Lord. So I write out the text message. Hi, this is Daniel. First of all, I'm sorry if this catches you off guard. I'm not trying to bring any pain. Like you, sometimes you just got to acknowledge that it's been a break. But I had this dream and I told this guy about the dream. And I said, at the end of it, I woke up and that I just, it felt, felt good. So I'm just here to say, I don't want anything but good for you. Bless you, Daniel. Five minutes later, I get a text back. Oh my goodness. Not five minutes ago, I said to my wife in the kitchen, I'm just ready for all of this to be addressed. And here you text me. I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying you cut corners and I'm not saying you ignore the hurt. I'm not saying you fake it. What I am saying though, is that God is the God who is our peace. And he's always the God who's looking to bring reconciliation. Will we be best friends into the future? No. But can God address the unspoken? Can God bring some kind of balm of healing? Can God, by his spirit, soften hearts? This is what Jesus says. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. So I'm just saying to you, maybe the Lord this week will drop someone in your spirit. Maybe the Lord will, will ask you to write a letter, letter this week. Maybe the Lord will invite you to take them out to lunch this week and just to name the silences. But what I am saying to you is that we have a responsibility. Paul in Romans chapter 12 says, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And so we say, Lord, make me merciful, soften my heart, help me to have purity of heart so that I can see you. And Lord, make me a peacemaker so that I can go carry your peace into the world. Friends, if you want to be a peacemaker, if you want to change the world, spend the rest of your life saying, Lord, help me to spend my life making peace. It's a simple prayer, a prayer that will change the world. Jesus says, this is what the good life looks like. The fourth and final beatitude that Jesus gives us today is 
Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's okay for us to just name in this moment that the present world order is often not kind to people of the kingdom. Sometimes it costs us to follow Jesus. Sometimes it costs us to, to live the lives that we're living, to be generous, to raise our kids in the scriptures. Sometimes it costs us. And I'll just say, where we are living right now, 21st century West, it's much easier than many people on the planet today. The reason we have flags in this building is because we want to remember what it's like to follow Jesus in the mountains of Nepal. There's Nepal right there in Mongolia. What does it look like to follow Jesus in North Korea today? During worship, I was looking across and I was praying for the saints who are worshiping at the risk of their lives as we speak right now. I think about Pastor William in Lahore, Pakistan, a city of 20 million people, and we support him as a church. And he's come over here four times and spoken with us. And Pastor William is my age, he's 40, and he has four daughters. 13 and younger. And he and his wife live on $4,800 a year. $400 a month is their budget. And Pastor William has opened his rickety laptop and shown me video of his church surveillance camera on the outside wall of their church with the Taliban, four members of the Taliban running down with their automatic weapons, trying to break into the church. And, and they fought them off that day and no, nobody died. <laughs> he was praising God that that day they fought them off. He told me last year that he got arrested. He came over here right after he got released. He got arrested at the border of Afghanistan and Pakistan, and, and he was stripped naked and handcuffed, and, and somehow, inexplicably, uh, 24 hours later, they released him. And he came over and he said, they released me this time. Praise be to the Lord our God. Friends, we need to understand that there are saints paying the price to follow Jesus all around the globe in ways that many of us will never understand. And so they belong in our morning prayers. Lord, would you strengthen the global church? Would you help people to be faithful? Would you provide for our brothers and sisters who are on the brink? Can we just commit as New Life Church that we're gonna be a church that prays for the world? Come on, can you talk to me today, church? That we're gonna be a church that, that takes the big story into our hearts and we begin to intercede for our brothers and sisters. But it clicks down to other kinds of layers. Many of you have felt persecution at work. They know Monday to Friday that you're different. And so some of you have felt like you missed out on the promotion that was yours because you live a different kind of life. Some of you have been disowned by parents or at least treated horribly by your people around you because that you're, you're living a different life. And Jesus says, blessed are those of you who feel like you don't have a home here and now for you can't imagine the home that's coming your way. That Jesus is the one who's going to make it right. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was run off. It said that, that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the son of man, Jesus Christ, had no place to lay his head. Life was uncomfortable as he walked planet earth. And he says to us, if, if you feel that kind of discomfort, just stay with me, bless, this is the good life, and I will make it work for you in the future. So when your life has you feeling displaced, saints, I invite you to pray, Lord, give me a home in your presence. Lord, give me a home in your presence. And by the way, this is why we want you to come to church. We want you to come to church because the people of God are here and we come into the room on Sundays and we bring those stories in here. And what we have is the collective faith of the body of Christ and people rising up and it strengthens us to go yet one more week in following Jesus. So friends, I want to put four prayers in front of you today out of these four Beatitudes. 
And the band is going to come and we're going to get ready to receive communion. But I've left some time here because I want us to intercede around these four Beatitudes. So the first prayer we'll put up on the screen. And I invite you to begin to pray this with me right now is Lord, make me merciful. Would you kind of quiet your hearts here and open your hearts here and begin to pray that the Lord would soften you, that the Lord would tenderize you, that the Lord would give you the capacity to take other people's stories into your heart, that you'd care about the well-being of other people. Lord, make me merciful. Could you just begin to pray that on your own lips today? Lord, make me merciful. The second prayer is, Lord, give me purity of heart. With this one comes some repentance. This is a time where you can begin to confess areas of impurity, areas where you have fallen short, areas where you've walked away. Renounce habits and practices that are ungodly and unprofitable. Lord, give me purity of heart. Lord, we pray that you would cleanse us with hyssop. We pray with David, cleanse us with hyssop and we will be clean and wash us and make us whiter than snow. The third prayer that I want you to pray today is, Lord, help me spend my life making peace. Maybe this is a moment where you can begin to think about those people that you've had difficulty with, and maybe you just start with trying to bless them today. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that you weren't hurt or offended or wounded. Absolutely, there's pain in this room. The pain will kill us if we don't rebuke it today. If we don't, if we don't begin to release and try to, to give our hearts of compassion away, the enemy has a foothold. And so today, would you just begin to speak peace, speak blessing, speak God's grace over them. If he's been gracious with us, we can release graciousness to them. So begin to speak peace. And the final prayer is Lord, give me a home in your presence. Some of you feel like you've been on the run for years. Some of you feel fragile. Some of you feel like no one's speaking up for you. Some of you feel alone on planet Earth. And that's a terrible way to live. It's just so sad. And today, I think Jesus wants to give you the assurance of his presence with you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And so, Lord, we pray right now for all of those who have felt displaced. All of those who felt on the run, I pray today that you would stand in their defense, that you would come and be their home, that you would be their helper today. Lord, give us a home in your presence. Church, would you stand with us today? What we're going to do is worship the Lord. We're going to come through as our communion servers come to the front. We're going to get our communion elements ready. You're going to come out of your rows if you're able. If you're not able, ask someone by you, hey, bring me one. We'd be happy to bring you an extra one. So just ask if you need someone to bring it to you. But as we come through, I want us to worship and I want us to lift our hands and you can go back to your seats and hold your communion elements there and worship the Lord and pray about these issues. And then here in just a minute, we'll receive communion together. You give life. 